Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blot pod. Wow. Wow. First time doing this. Wow. Are you being quiet over there? (laughs) Rusty. Rusty. Oh, man. Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. This is your host, Brandon, and as always, joining me are Nick and Dan. Uh, Gentlemen, beautiful weather up here. Uh, It's a little different watching Chelsea uh, play, though, at Brighton this weekend. Um, I think, Nick, where did you end up uh, taking in the match? Early one, 6.30 a.m. for us in the central time zone. Yeah, 6.30s are almost always on the couch at home. Uh, I'm not... Not a warrior like our, you know, friends out west in L.A. or, or the Rainier Blues, and, and they'll get up and go to the the pub at 4:30. I, I don't have that in me anymore. So uh, the couch it was, Dan. Yeah, couch, couch made a lot of sense. Couch is the perfect place for a a very early match. 
my opinions wrong. I did the same. I uh, kept it simple, didn't want to uh, risk missing any of it because it was a fast start. Uh, and we'll get into a lot of that. Uh, more exciting uh, is our guest today, Gary Hayes. Uh, Gary, you took it in actually from the stands in Brighton, didn't you? Right on the side of the pitch, unfortunately, because I was a bit excited because I haven't seen a game that up close for for a while, but then it was drizzle and wind all day, so I got soaked. It looked like you were dressed for the occasion, though. Oh, you can't you can't turn up and not make an effort, can you? <laughs> yeah, the the, mem- the members only jacket didn't uh, <laughs> didn't protect you from the elements, huh? No, I should have worn a waterproof, really, shouldn't I? Because it was very cold. But I thought, oh, I had it in my head. I should have checked the weather. I thought it was going to be sunny, so I bought my shades as well. And I just thought, oh, I'm still going to wear them. Well, if you need to cameo in the Breakfast Club, there's always an opportunity for that as well. <laughs> but you know what? I'm glad you brought it up because that's always the look I'm going for. So Nailed it. Clearly, you're spot I'm clearly on. doing something right. <laughs> Um, real quick, uh, we do have even more iTunes reviews, Dan. I'm blown away every single week that we do this, and there's more people leaving five-star reviews for us in iTunes. Yeah, we want to thank Lee Mog Tomahawk, who is going to be going to see the Barcelona game at the bridge, so uh, hopefully the, the team shows up and performs there, and Messi continues his uh, scoreless streak against Chelsea. And then uh, one that went by the name, absolutely love this podcast, so uh, appreciate another uh, recommendation beyond your review, but they're uh, actually a brand new or newer Chelsea fan, and uh, said that their love for the club has been cemented by the podcast. So I thought that was a, a really nice awesome. uh, bit of feedback there. And uh, we did, Brandon, get some shouts from our friends uh, over who listen on SoundCloud as well, like uh, Xander, who hits us up on, on Twitter. So I think a good reminder to thank all those people listening there too, even though they can't drop uh, drop some five-star love. It's true. I sent a message to Xander. He was being super um, appreciative and all that stuff on Twitter. So we do see that and we are thankful um, but we did get this, uh, obviously, Mike, our, you know, our contributor on the pod, uh, a, a team member of ours at Rainier Blues, uh, tweeting this funny image out of Gary in his members-only jacket and sunglasses from the match on Saturday saying, only question needed, how many minutes of Gary Hayes' magnificent Maro, Mari accent will we get to experience? That's strictly limited for the other podcasts I do. Sorry, they, <laughs> they have the copyright on that. They 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 own the licensing and everything. Yeah, I think some people might be fee. happy about that, Gary. I think some people are generally pleased to hear that a few minutes into I'm the show. Sure. And we'll probably listen I'm to the end sure. now. I picked up plenty of followers because of it. <laughs> the uh, the jacket alone, or or what are we talking about here? J- just just the accent. Just uh, <laughs> my my family live in New Zealand and. Um, the Pacific Islanders and the the Maoris have a bit of a different accent, so we always just you know it's always good to have a good laugh. And some of their friends are from like Tonga and Samoa, mm. so we we have a good laugh with them about it. It's a little bit different to the the standard Kiwi accent that you get. Well, I think that we'll have to settle for your native British accent, as most of our listeners are accustomed to our guests having. Um, but real quick before we jump into the match review, just a real quick reminder, Nick, for everyone out there, if they do want to pick up maybe the new Chelsea training gear from Nike at worldsoccershop.com, we've got a code for them. Correct. Uh, as you've heard the last couple of weeks, 
Go to World Soccer Shop, find whatever you want to buy. There's plenty of awesome new stuff on the site. And then use the, co- uh, the code LONDONPOD at checkout uh, for 10% off. And so, like we talked about last week, you know, if you're, if you're buying a new kit and you want to get some customization, uh, that could certainly help cover that or, you know, shipping costs or whatever, whatever it is that your heart desires. So uh, go to worldsoccershop.com, use the code LONDONPOD and save 10%. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get stuck in. It was Brighton Hove Albion this past Saturday, January 20th. It was a Premier League match over at the Amex Stadium, and the score was Blues 4, Seagulls 0. And we didn't have any correct score predictions, but I mean, hey, who would have predicted 4 nothing after a recent form? I mean, you can't really blame them at that point. Uh, but Gary, it, it, when they say the Amex Stadium, I mean, is that short for American Express? It is the American Express Community Stadium, yeah. Interesting. They sponsor it, but they, they're fine with it just being shortened, huh? Yeah, um, I don't think Brighton. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they abbreviate themselves, but I think it's just in the media. It's just become the Amex Stadium, but I yeah. guess everyone knows Amex American Express. So I think they're just happy that they're in the Premier League and they're playing Chelsea with their brand everywhere. So this stadium is actually a little bit bigger than. Um, Who's down south? I can't even think of Bournemouth. Team, Bournemouth, right? But they're Bournemouth's actually tiny. Yeah, tiny. right. So I mean, they're not the worst <laughs> as far as their stadium goes. But I guess what's it like inside the stadium? The atmosphere. Yeah, it's lovely. Well, the, the it was a horrible atmosphere. I say horrible. It was rubbish atmosphere. Um, it was just the. I don't know what you heard on TV, but it was from what we could hear. It was only Chelsea fans making any noise. Their their fans are really bad. Um, just. <laughs> Just, just poor. Just didn't sing. Didn't have any sort of, you know, um, atmosphere to get the players up for or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's a lo- lovely stadium. Um, you know, it was only about six or seven years ago that they were playing in a an old rundown athletic stadium because they'd lost their old stadium as it was, and the club was on its knees. So for them to be playing in that now is incredible. Well, I think that it was um, kind of interesting to see. We, we They have microphones around the pitch, so we get to hear a lot of the fans as well. Um, but I just wonder if how much the weather affected that. Um, I don't know. But, Dan, lineup time. We did have a 3-4-3 formation, so very obviously not going with the 3-5-1-1 or 3-5-2 um, in, in kind of this, this matchup. Um, who did we have out there on the pitch this last Saturday? Yeah, so a couple of injuries forcing Antonio Conte's hand to draft a different lineup, but still being paid for on the black Amex of a Roman Abramovich with Willie <laughs> Caballero in the goal, fronted by Rudiger and Christensen and Azpilicueta with the back three. He had Alonso, Conte, Bakayoko, and Moses in the central four. And then William, Hazard, and Michi kind of drawing in the front of the line. And the bench, uh, no Courtois due to ankle injury. Hopefully not playing basketball with Joel Embiid, as we've seen on, uh, you know, they were buddying up on social media. Uh, so Eduardo was there with Zappacosta, David Luiz. Ross Barkley makes the bench, does not get minutes. Charlie Musanda, Ethan Ampadu, who uh, apparently there might be a concern about us signing him now. And uh, Dujon Sterling gets some time on the bench as well. Which, uh, you know, Gary, I felt like that was, uh, you know, given what we've seen with the uh, kind of the quest for Conte to kind of put in a 3-5-2, uh, it was almost refreshing to see kind of that 3-4-3 lineup return and, and see some of the interplay um, with, amongst that front three. 
Yeah, it was. It's, it's something that I've been banging on about for ages. You know, just I don't, I don't mind the the five man midfield. It's but I think it's more something to close out matches than it is to to go out and win them. Especially when you're playing Brighton. You know, you watch the way Chelsea have been playing this season, and that they've been so narrow, like attacking wise, and especially from the you know the view I had yesterday, where you could see it almost as if you you know were a player, you know, because you could see the the whole setup in front of you as the game was happening where, you know, because I was so low to the pitch and directly behind the players almost. And you, you could just see that there was so much width that when you've got those three attackers that, you know, you've got um, Hazard on the left and then uh, William on the right with, with Batshuayi through the middle, that it was harder for the, the Brighton defenders to occupy those attackers. Whereas when it's just Morata and Hazard, they have to play centrally because they have to play off each other. And it's asking so much of the wing-backs in Alonso and Moses to get forward and provide that width that... So so often you've seen this year that by the time the Chelsea midfield does get up to support those two, they've been dispossessed and we're getting turned and that's why we're getting caught on the break a lot. And it happened against Leicester just just last week when you know they had a good performance against us. But um, yeah, it was refreshing to see and it was a case of um, you know, obviously injuries and all the rest of it made him you know he had no choice but to play that team that he did yesterday. But um, I think out of that you know we, we got a, a victory that no one was expecting. Well, I would a victory, quickly... I'll say a victory when no one was expecting. I mean the scoreline. I would quickly add to this. I mean, if you think back to our podcast last week, um, we had a, a, a fan bring up the fact that Hazard hasn't played on the left-hand side of a 3-4-3 three, three, uh, for Chelsea since uh, the end of last year. You know, it's just the way that Antonio Conte has been doing uh, the lineups this year. And so I think, uh, you know, with his injury at the beginning of the year and the way that, you know, Morata was working uh, for, for a lot of the early part of the season, that um, this 3-4-3 three, three hasn't really facilitated itself you know that Pedro and William would come in or you know some other formation but um, this is uh, it's pretty important to see um, that the interchange was was still really um, crucial up front and that they were still working together uh, I think that you know when you think of Bakayoko as well as a, as a major part of this whole scenario that he performs a lot better in the two-man midfield than a three uh, where he's pretty secure and where he's supposed to be in the job he's supposed to be doing so overall, you know, this this lineup did perform pretty well yesterday, all things considered, Brandon. Well, I guess that's a good place to start, really, because I there was a couple different things. There was a formation change. Uh, Hazard's coming off a little bit of a rest. Uh, this is, what, Mishi's second game in a row uh, playing. And, you know, the way it looked, Brighton wasn't the... You, they weren't the greatest opponents, but at the same time, Chelsea gave up, you know, quite a few chances to them. So kind of that was my question was Hazard was in form, William looked sharp, Mishi looked like he could potentially play in this team, and even Bakayoko had a great day out. So again, did it all come down to playing Brighton or has the rest and and just some formation changes that Conte made for this match gave some of these guys uh actually pay off today? Was it a Conte switch or just with with a guy just showing up. I mean, I guess I don't know where to start within that, Dan. Well, someone definitely flicked uh, the off and on switch again for Eden Hazard and uh, got a little system reboot going because he was exceptional. And I think, you know, Nick will talk about, you know, time and time again, the difference between when Eden Hazard is ready to play and absolutely bang on form. He just completely changes and shifts the game. And I think this was an example of where you saw that today, where he wanted to play. He, even when he got kicked around a little bit, he kind of got up and was just filthy. Uh, and really, uh, you know, probably, 
You know, it was it, if you were a Brighton fan, I think that was like not safe for work viewing because, I mean, you just got absolutely destroyed by this man. It's true. Uh, you know, I think the I go back to the combination. I think for Hazard, a lot of his form, quote unquote, comes from having the trust of the people around him. Right. So, like, for me. I think that he trusts William a lot in those kind of interchange situations. You know, when they're when they're back heel flicking the entire way down the field, you know, that's pretty special. And that tells me that there's a certain level of trust there. And I think even with, with Mishi from Belgium duty, I think there is a certain level of trust um, that Hazard has in him as well. Um, and I, I think as players start to raise their game, Hazard gets even better um, because he it's almost as if he's kind of freeing himself uh, from you know the the constraints of you know having to play every pass inch perfect and you know you start to see them having a little bit more fun and you know kind of interchanging there was a lot of smiling on the pitch yesterday uh, which I think is a really good sign moving forward Gary like that's that's where this team needs to be up front yeah definitely and just looking at Hazard he's you know the sort of player that you give him space and he punishes you and he hasn't been getting that space because. You know, it's been so congested up front where, you know, with, with, with defenders around him because they can afford to leave an extra man on him because they're only having to occupy him and Morata. So when you've got Batshuayi playing through the middle, both central defenders have got to keep an eye on him and one's got a stick on him. And then when Williams, especially the way that he played yesterday, he had a, a really good game and, you know, he, he stuck to his role, which was, you know, to to be the foil in that sense and that he was covering the right side and, and that just opens things up for Hazard and you know just to go back to the point that you made earlier about you know was it down to Conte picking a, the right side or was it uh, you know playing Brighton I think it's probably a mixture of both I think that you know Chelsea won the title last year playing this system and they didn't just win it they they walked their way to it you know the, the title was wrapped up by this time last year like it has been for City now and I just think that to turn your back on that system that quick, it's just a little bit frustrating. You know, and that's not me sticking the boot in on Conte too much, but you know, I like the fact he hasn't rested on his laurels and that you know he's trying new things and he's trying to find other systems that work for this side. But I think you have to look at this: that you know, how were Chelsea winning matches last year? They're winning matches by playing football further up the pitch and away from their own goal. And not to you know stress the point too much, but you look at the Norwich game on Wednesday and when does the goal come? When Chelsea started sitting back deeper against the championship side, playing a five-man midfield, which that gave the space for that cross to come in for that header to be made. You know, And I think sometimes when you, you've got so many players in one area that no one knows who's picking up who. And I think that's been a problem at times this year. And I think you look at what happened yesterday, the fluid, you know, it's such a fluid performance at times that, yeah, the, the, I think there were problems defensively still where... You know, Brighton got a bit too much joy than what they should have done. But I think overall it was a strong performance and in an attacking sense is something that, you know, is a sort of positive that Chelsea needed. Yeah, anytime that Eden Hazard completes eight take-ons, uh, that's a great day for Chelsea. You know that that's going to be, you know, converted into uh, some productivity in front of goal. I think that, Gary, I'm a little interested to know, I mean, I, I would assume Morata can play in a 3-4-3, you know, no problem because the way Mishi and William and uh, Hazard linked up and a lot of these one-two uh, passing combinations or the flicks and, and the movement, I mean, it seems like even when we inevitably put Murata back in, uh, it's not going to be something too too different, I think, for, for him to do. My only concern, I guess, is, um, it, you know, 
Fabregas played almost every single minute at the beginning of the season. Conte almost like went out of his way to include Fabregas into the team this season. But obviously in a 3-4-3, we just don't have him. So with that formation change being happening, if we stick with it, I guess that makes Fabregas more of like the late match sub that we saw two seasons ago. Or I guess, no, just last season. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, I think a five-man midfield has got a future. I just don't think it's the... You know the system that is the the go to default system at Chelsea. I think that you know you look at what happened against Atletico Madrid earlier on this season. It's probably that performance was one of the best performances under Conte, and they they played that five man midfield. I just think that you know it it probably worked against Atletico for the reasons that it failed against City when when City completely dominated Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and you know when they won one nil. But I think there's a place for it, and there's a place for Cesc. It's just that you know it's it's it doesn't suit that team and you know what's made this t- this side work when you look at it and you think Chelsea won the title last year with Victor Moses and Marcus uh, Alonso as their wing backs two players that you know Moses for four years couldn't get anywhere near the Chelsea side he, he, was, he was on loan for three of them you know and, and now suddenly he's this regular starter who looks a completely different player and the same as Alonso you know when he, when he was signed he was you know people were laughing at Chelsea and, and all the rest of it and now he looks like okay he might not be the best le- uh, left wing back in the world, and you know people were saying we still need an upgrade. But I think overall he's done an amazing job. The, the amount of goals he scored, and I think you know as a as a wing back, that's that's what you want to be judging him on, not so much the goals that Chelsea conceding, but what they're contributing in a in an attacking sense. But you know, I, I just look in, I think that th- those players, Chelsea won the title with those players, and it was because that team became the sum of its parts rather than being about individuals and all the rest of it. Whereas I think when it comes down to a five man midfield, you start looking at it and it does become square pegs, round holes. And, you know, it's 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 a difficult one. But at the same time, when you've got a system that's just won the title and effectively as well, you look across the Premier League and, you know, Conte's tactical shift last year has impacted everyone where suddenly the three-man defence has become the fashion. I just think that to, to go and change your system that quick with the same players, it just doesn't add up. Nick, I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say, especially with, you know, some player formations. But, I mean, I don't foresee any reason Morata can't play in the 3-4-3. The only thing you're going to lose out on maybe is a little bit of that width in the crossing, which he obviously has, has excelled at and maybe struggled a little bit more with his feet. But I think that the one thing that's, that that stuck out to me was for Mishi, how much more he was involved in the match today. He wasn't nearly as isolated, even like he can be, even Morata can be in a 3-5-2. I thought it was great having two players always around him. So when he did receive the ball, even a long ball, he didn't have to settle it and turn and do something with it. He could just lay it off to one of the two attackers running in off him. So I'm, I'm going to sum this up because I, I, I feel like it's important to note. Um, if you think about Mishi against Norwich, um, which, you know, admittedly, I mean, that was just a, a slog of a match. He was being asked to play as an 11, you know, someone who could hold the ball up and help the midfield eventually connect with the with the two forward players. Right. Like there is zero doubt in my mind that, you know, that is not a position that he is capable of playing. I think what you saw yesterday is that they asked him to play as a number nine and interchange along the way, like bring the team with him instead of leading the line by himself. And so, 
you know, it was Hazard passing to him and him passing over to William and then William passing back to Hazard. And then, you know, you start to see that come to fruition a little bit more. And admittedly, you know, I don't think he's going to be as good as Murata, you know, when we finally get that thing working properly. But, uh, you know, you could tell he was a lot more comfortable yesterday. Um, and I think that's a big difference because Chelsea currently don't have a hold up striker. You know, Murata is not that guy either. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not proven himself to be strong enough to kind of put his back um, to a defender and keep the ball away without falling over a lot. So, uh, you know, if you think about, you know, playing to strengths of players, you know, that formation yesterday with the three interchanging, even if we do lose a little bit of width um, and, and a little bit of uh, steel in the midfield is a lot more dangerous going forward. Like no doubt in my mind about that. So. Uh, there's there's a lot to be thinking about, but I you know I did just want to put that point out there that when Mishi's just asked to kind of be a little bit more free flowing, plays a nine, uh, he excels more, and I think that that could be something to look forward to in the next few matches. Well, Dan, I think that we would um, be failing ourselves and our listeners if we didn't go back and actually choose our favorite goal of the day. It's been too long of us. Just goals. We did it. Yeah, I know. It's we've we've just been the flying goals. over the goals, uh, you know, category for too many weeks. So there was some amazing goals that were scored yesterday, and so I just want to go around for everyone and just you know, what was your favorite of the four? I will say the Musanda to Moses connection was my favorite of all of them. I, I think that Musanda coming on and the way he just played that assist forward, which was phenomenal and then Moses's ability to kind of just absorb the ball into his chest settle it down and and slot it past the keeper was absolutely uh, pristine and really I think summed up the the day as a whole so I'm, I'm gonna go with number four and, and also for Rudiger uh, catching a sleepy Musanda afterwards on the uh, the coach back good old <laughs> social media you're never safe uh, Nick what about you what was your favorite goal well, I, I was going to say that one, but for, for differentiation, um, you know, the, the second goal was just outstanding. I mean, it was an outstanding team goal uh, brought forward by the entire team. You know, Moses starts it, um, or William starts it, gets it over. You know, we start seeing multiple back heel flicks in a row, and it, events, you know, it ends with a William pile driver just... Uh, you know, there, there's a slow-mo replay and, and there's a couple of times that Williams done this this year where you see him really get over a ball and see how much power he has. That dude can lace it. Um, and that's what he did yesterday. Uh, very proud of, of that team goal. And I think, you know, you started to see, you know, the, the commentators made a weird comment, uh, a comment about the celebration that, you know, the, the team was together and they were smiling. Like, I feel like the team celebrates together a lot, and especially after that one, there was a due celebration, Gary. Who was the commentator yesterday? Did you have Sky? The Sky feed? Uh, we have NBC over here, and I'm not sure who they were. Was, that, was, it, was it Arlo White? Was it? He normally... No. N- not, not in the morning. Not the early match. He does the primetime matches. Okay. Th- th- those agendas about the team are together because they're celebrating. Oh, just stupid stupid but, but it, 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 I'm, I'm glad you said the second goal on the fourth goal because mine I didn't want to give it up mine is the third for Hazard's second just because it was vintage Hazard because what I love about Hazard is how calm you know you see the way he takes penalties he's just so calm and the confidence and everything and just the way he put half of their defence on their ass before he put it in the back of the net it was just a 
a man against a whole load of boys goal, wasn't it? It's, it's almost like a goal you see in the park where, you know, the best player on the pitch, everyone's so scared of him that they're just diving around and, you know, you saw the keeper going, he, he just gave him the eyes and he went and just, you know, waits for the keeper to commit before he just picks his spot. And yeah, that was a cool goal. And you could just see the break and, you know, the way he broke from the halfway line with it. And yeah, that was a, a very pleasant goal to witness. Uh, r- rumor says that Mishi is still laying on the ground at Brighton today. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about the way that Hazard scored that goal and and will for eons to come. Well, he did that. He did that. Uh, you know, where he, where he kind of beat Czech last year against Arsenal, where he hit the ball into the ground and it kind of elevated it. He did that again for this goal. Um, and after I, I don't remember who eighteen for Brighton is, but eighteen was literally running away from him, like running towards his own goal, back to Hazard. Yeah, that was Connor I, Goldson. Oh my God! What is that? Like, we get that, mad. That's when, the only way to defend against Hazard. Don't <laughs> defend against Hazard. Yeah. Well, we get mad when Gary Cahill is facing someone and backtracking, but I've, that's a whole other level of defensive ineptitude I haven't seen before. Brandon, what's your favorite goal of the four? Well, I mean, at this point, it's almost just Mishi's recaps of all the goals on social media. I mean, it's Hazard and Chill for the third. He's uh, just seen it. That's some FIFA Pro Club shit uh, on the second. Um, I mean, the first one was nothing. So I, I'm just going to go and say my favorite was also the fourth. Um, not because it was the best, but just because, again, Musanda getting involved. And then also Vic. Uh, it's always great to see uh, him get you know get a goal on the sheet, too, because uh, he does a lot of running. So I think that he deserves it. But there's no question in my mind that the uh, the second was the best team goal. So um, hopefully we'll we'll see more of that stuff as we continue on in the season. But to flip it now from the offensive half where we excelled to the defensive half where it was a lot more interesting, I would say. Um, Aldemar on Facebook saying, even at 4 nothing against a lower level opposition, we looked a full step off at random times. It's plain to see fatigue is setting in. Uh, and with the serious number of games coming up in the Premier League, League Cup, Champions League, and FA Cup, uh, what is being done by the club to address fatigue and match sharpness? So, um, and he also came up, Nick, and I, I need to get your approval or disapproval on this nickname for Willie Punchiero. Mm, we're going to need to work on that. Um, I think there's, there's some potential. work to be done. Yeah, yeah we, we, we see it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I understand where he's going with that, um, clearly. I think, I think Aldemaro um, was a bit fatigued when he wrote that one himself. Uh, it's a ter- terrible oh. pun. I, I almost feel like terrible it should be... Willie um, Cabernet Blanc sheets or something like to go for like something like that to play like a wine pun on the last part of his name. Yeah, let's not let's not do a brainstorm uh, during the podcast. But um, the, the, one, the one thing I say I like about him is that um, he's a rare commodity for a Chelsea goalkeeper because he hacks down opponents and doesn't give penalties away like he should have done yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise was that that you know uh, Chelsea at the slightest inkling of a penalty or you know a red card or foul it it wasn't that bad actually you know it made for some some smooth some smooth well, watching. I I was the first person in our text group to to hit up old goalkeepers union um and be like yeah that was pretty bad. Um the second one, the second penalty shot, I don't think was, but the first one, I, I think. Yeah, the first definitely. Yeah, definitely was. Yeah, know, I think uh, I think that uh, Bakayoko was a little more innocent in, in how that worked, and it was literally just you know 
yeah, much, much more, you know, accidental at that point. But um, anyway, a couple things different happened. So obviously, you know, yes, Caballero had a bit of a, a, you know, had a couple moments that I'm not even going to defend. You know, they were a little bit. I understand why it happens, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, what about like the header? Uh, you know, he made the fantastic save. There's two unmarked Brighton players at the back post. They head it into the ground. Caballero makes an amazing save on that one. Um, but there were still some other opportunities where defense just really didn't pick up marks, Nick. And then, obviously, I think the big talking point from the defense was Christensen having to come off with the head injury and, and Louise coming on. Yeah, so there's a few things. You know, I think uh, I made the comment yesterday um, while we were all kind of talking about the match that uh, even though Alonzo was off midweek, I think that he looked really leggy. Um you know, there there were a lot of times where Shalato was was running at him, where he was he was just not even close to the pace, and uh, you know, understandably so. You know, the the dude has played pretty much every minute of of action this year, so uh, that's one part of it. Um, and I think the other part is certainly with the concussion um, or concussion like symptoms that uh, Andreas Christensen had that did shake things up a little bit. David Luiz did a couple of his trademark crazy suicide runouts um, and, and would miss the ball. And then we'd, you know, rely on Dave or, or Rudiger to kind of clean up the mess there. So there's, there's a lot of different scenarios. I think that, that put that into play. I also think that, when a team is down three or four nil, you know, their, their only objective is to attack, you know, like losing more goals or giving up more goals at that point doesn't really even affect them. So um, overall, you know, you, you're, you know, you go up two nil that early in the sixth minute and you're probably going to get more of an attacking um, look from, from the opposition, even if they're, even if they're crap. So uh, lots of, uh, lots of things going in there, Dan, but um, th- that's just my take on it. Yeah, and actually going back to it, so so Brandon, you know, you were mentioning there just a moment ago that you know why it happens. So so why do you, or maybe you could explain like where some of the the shakiness for Caballero came from in a couple of those moments. Just lack of minutes. Like you're not in those situations where your adrenaline is that high and you're reacting that fast. Training is significantly off the pace of what it matches. So it's it's genuinely just not being in those situations uh, that often, even though he just played uh, a few days before. Oh, that's good to know. That's a, a good educational moment for all of our listeners who are not apparently a card carrying member of the goalkeepers union. Hmm. Yeah, that's an expensive membership. So, well, most of those times you can get it on a free. Um, but no, I, I think ultimately the, you know, it was nice to see Rudiger get some more time to it, it, you know, again, always unfortunate that it potentially comes at the, the behest of someone else, someone else's injury. And, uh, you never like seeing uh Christensen, uh, or a young player get injured and potentially have some kind of concern about that. But, uh, yeah, Luis has looked okay, even though he's kind of played out of form and, uh, you know, Gary, do you feel like. There was a, a massive shift in the uh, the quality of the defense once Louise kind of came on for Christensen. Yeah, I think it was a positive. I thought, it, you know, in terms of the aerial threat, that you know they they had just hit the post as well before Christensen had gone off, and I thought Louise looked a, a lot more assured in the air. I think, yeah, I think it's cigarette paper difference between him and Christensen in terms of their ability on the ball and and all the rest of it. I think sometimes that, yeah. The, the old David Louise might creep back in on sometimes the old David Louise leads to the impression that he maybe isn't as as 
you know, calm and collected as what he should be. But you know, you're forgetting this is a guy who played injured for a lot of last year. He's had that injury coming to this year, and he was one of the best players in in the Chelsea side last year. And I think you know the, the future is most definitely Christensen. You know, and, and he he was showing that even before he he'd been drafted in by Conte. But you know, you, you've seen the performances this year. But I think overall, you know, there, there, there were some shaky moments at the back and. Maybe that was down to there being a two-man midfield and or what, but you know, two two men in the central. But I think when when you're in a side that hasn't won in this calendar year, I think that's just a little bit of nerves, regardless of whether these are guys that have been professionals and they're elite players. You know, it's teams can get at them and they they can prey on that you know psychological edge that they might have over a side because you know you look at it, especially when it went to to two 0 after six minutes yesterday. What did Brighton have to lose in that game? They had nothing. I think that the chances they got, they wouldn't have got had Chelsea been one nil up or two, you know, or nil nil or got two nil after seventy minutes because it almost became a a gung ho approach from from Brighton that you wouldn't have expected. You know, they'd, they'd have wanted to have the game a bit more controlled and they wouldn't have been pressing as much. And sometimes when that happens, you know, chances get created and you know it's Premier League football still, isn't it? But I think overall Chelsea, you know, defensively they, they got another clean sheet and they just you know showed that. Yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of talent in that back line and the fact that I think they've only conceded um three goals this year in the games they've played and the fact that they had, you know, so many nil nils back to back isn't necessarily a bad thing. All right. Well, I think it uh you know, it was a good performance, like I said. Anytime you have a couple of changes, especially a goalkeeper, uh it does make things a little bit different just from a communication standpoint, but uh, the run of clean sheets, uh, no matter how you put it, has been fantastic. I know the level will have to raise, uh, you know, when February's huge run of matches come, but but we've got some time. We'll get there. So uh, with that being said, I just want to wrap this one up. Obviously, um, one additional thought that I had of this was really interesting to see Conte's kind of post-match remarks. Uh, you know, Gary, I you know, sitting in on this, watching it, he, he was very pointed in the fact that he's saying that the media, you know, people in the media, I shouldn't say the entire media, people in the media are trying to bring this really negative mood onto Chelsea. And it looks like it's really affecting him. Like he's actually, um, not as you know, maybe joyful or as animated. I know that winning 13 in a row last season helps with that. But he said, uh, whoever said this has to pay attention to the stats. We're unbeaten in 11 games. It's normal uh, that the press try to see the negative aspect and don't see the positives. But this team with many problems are unbeaten in 11 games in every competition. And he goes on to talk about the fact that they're missing players like Fabregas, Drinkwater, Courtois, and had two suspensions in Pedro Morata still came out and looked like they were a fantastic team and they hadn't even skipped a beat. So um, where, where are you kind of at on this? And, and what do you, what does this make you think of? I think he's right to be upset about it. And I think that, you know, sometimes when he gets asked all these transfer questions and his future at the club, and people say, oh, he looks weary having to deal with this you know, in terms of his future. And so I think he's weary of ask, answering the same question every week. You know, I, I wasn't in the press conference yesterday because I was there as a fan. But um, you know, a lot of the time I sit in these press conferences and I, I'm, I'm not a news journalist. So I'm not there trying to get news angles. I'm there trying to get quotes to help me write the features that I write. You know, to, to have a quote from the manager to back up the point I'm making or to... You know, have it as a you know different perspective, but I think that yeah, you know, as as a news journalist, you've got to get that line, and you, you look at it and you think that you know I'm, I'm just putting my myself in their position, and, and if I was in that 
in their position. It's like they're, they're writing match reports and think pieces on the back of it. And Chelsea were the champions last year. They went into this game in fourth position, well off the pace in the title race. And, you know, they had a few dodgy performances where really over Christmas they'd clawed United back in. It looked like they were becoming the second team behind City. And then suddenly they had this dip in form and now they're looking over their shoulder at, at Spurs. And I just think that journalists sometimes want to give the answer. But they haven't got the insight that everyone thinks they have because they're not professional coaches. They're not working with players every single day on the training ground. They don't understand the nuances at a football club. And sometimes they're looking for those answers. And by getting those answers, they, they think that, or to, to give that answer, they think there's got to be something negative about the club. There's got to be something going on. Sometimes it can just be you know, a, a collective drop in form because players might be tired or, you know, th there might be other things at play. But, you know, when they, fr this negative, you know, when, when you're the champions one year and then suddenly you're not going to be this year and you're going to be well off the pace, people look at it and they think there's, there's got to be a problem. A's got to lead to B, which has got to lead to C. And I think that's what he's maybe not articulating properly because, you know, maybe he doesn't want to articulate that or, you know, his, his level of English isn't, you know, um, eloquent enough for him to get that across. But I think that you look at it and it's just journalists pushing an agenda that when they work in the press, or, you know, when they work in the media, that agenda's there. And and that's the something, you know, that they, they need headlines, they need reasons for why stuff's happening. And, you know, if you want to be the voice of authority on it, you can't say, I don't know. So you need to give a reason. And that's where the negativity comes from, in my view. Do you, do you think that uh, and and I, and I mean this sincerely, Gary, because like we you know we have members of the press on uh, all the time as, as guests on the show. But do you think that you know some of this you know quote unquote narrative is just kind of formed out of the lack of angles that most uh, press officers will allow a coach to speak on? You know, you know, transfers and things this time of year are pretty table stakes stuff, you know, the, the form stuff is, you know, obvious to most people who watch matches. Um, but it, a lot of press officers um, are, are pretty controlling over, you know, what is and, you know, what isn't on the table. Um, do you think that might play a, a, any impact into that? Normally you'd say yes, but then you look at the way he reacted to the Jose stuff and Chelsea had a full 24 hours after the United FA Cup game against Derby when, when Jose bought up the match fixing, they had a full 24 hours to brief him and he just went completely, you know, on his own agenda and attacked Jose, you know, responded to Jose when he would have been briefed not to. You know, and I, I think that if Conte's got something to say, he'll say it. But, you know, just going back to, to journalists quickly as well, because I know the people who come on, you know, to come on, like uh, Dan Levine's been on and Simon Johnson and, and Liam Toomey and Nizar Kinsella. I don't think, and I'm not saying it because they're guys that I speak with and I'm fond of, I don't think they're the problem. Because the, the, with those guys, what, what we have over here is the red top tabloids, the sun, right. the mirror. They're the guys that push these agendas. And it's, it's, a, it's a tabloid agenda. And I, I've been in press conferences where I've asked questions about football rather than anything else. And you get the stare from the other journalists, you know, and, and they, they give you the looks if they say, what the hell are you doing? That's not our agenda. Why, aren't, why isn't it yours, you know? Because How dare you talk it. about football here? It's exactly, ridiculous. because what they want is they, they want the scandal and they want the sniff of that and, and that's what they're about. And I'm not saying it because I'm all high and mighty and I'm clean, but that's why I've never worked for a tabloid and that's why some people do. You know, I guess, Dan, from your perspective, I mean, he's got a point though. I'm beating an 11. There, it's not been nearly as smooth 
as last season with injuries, suspensions, the whole gamut. I mean, we've highlighted this, but personally, I'm happy that he's kind of going out there and getting stuck in and defending himself and the team. Like, that's just great to hear from your manager. Oh, it's what you would want from from any leader. You know, if your department at work is under siege because you're maybe missing a deadline and, you know, a, a good, you know, potentially a good boss who knows that you're working hard and you're trying to make do with the resources you have is, is going to kind of take that as a part about talking about what the team is working on and not necessarily or kind of claiming personal fault versus kind of going back to his team and saying, you know, what the hell are you doing? And I think what we're seeing now is a to the point that Gary made is you know someone is being worn down by I think what I would label as an inquest into what is happening or what's kind of transpiring behind the scenes. You know, will he won't he sign with a new contract? What's going to happen in the summer? You know, is he happy? Is he not happy? You know, I'm surprised we haven't brought in like a, one of these tabloids hasn't brought in maybe a body language expert to kind of talk about what the micro expressions of Conte's persona is telling uh, or not telling us. So it, it, it's frustrating because I think that we also, you know, see on, on the opposite side that, you know, uh, fans, I think, in, you know, bleed into some of that negativity too and help enforce and support it. And I mean, you look at some of the reactions that, you know, online to when players are linked to Peter Crouch or to, you know, Jekko or whoever it might be. And, and the way that there is either is a, a negative or positive swell of, you know, excitement or depression that that doesn't make it any easier at all. So I, I think it's worth pointing out where the club has been successful and, and to point out to the fact too, that, you know, it's not a bad position to be competing in, in all available tournaments and trophies that, that are still there to play for outside of the, really the premier league. And that that's a, a really good place to be considering all the situations, problems and concerns that the club has kind of navigated through. And I think that's the biggest thing that should be applauded and credited. And unfortunately on, on the inverse is the thing that's being, and a ballyhooed is the problem. Well, you know, I think that 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 is obviously good to see. I know that, um, I guess, Gary, you know, from our perspective, uh, as I bring it back to this, you know, Conte, he doesn't think that a siege mentality is the way to go. Uh, he is defending his team and players. He has been kind of under attack. I mean, even on the U.S., we get these biased commentaries all the time on NBC soccer for whatever reason, it seems like. But even Sky Sports, you know, they're pushing some stuff out lately, too. I guess, do you think that it's only to the tabloids or is it even maybe some of the mainstream media like the TV networks and and those platforms as well? I I find, you know, you'll speak to another journalist who'll disagree with me, I guess, but I find that the tabloids will set that agenda and when that agenda's out there, that the others will follow it, you know. And with, with commentators and with, with Sky Sports and and all the rest of it, you know, I I, don't, I, don't, I think that the broadsheets like the Guardian and the Telegraph, and and the Independent, which well, it's more online now, but you know that they're they're the sort of outlets that will that they'll, they'll dip into it because they know they've got to but they steer clear of it. But it's the tabloids that, that drive it. And I think that, you know, once something starts trending on social media, as a media organisation, you're foolish not to tap into it as well. 
Sure. Know, it, 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 if all the conversation is about one subject that, yeah, okay, you, you can maybe you know deflect from it a little bit but you're, you're going to be you're going to follow and, and that's that's the problem with well it's not a problem it's, it's the culture of being in the media that you know what happens after a press conference i'm not sure how much you guys know about it or what happens in america but over here what will happen is um you'll have a press conference and then you have a brief so yesterday's game would have been a press conference immediately after the game and then after that conto would have left the press conference and he would have gone and stood in a corridor outside and the journalist would have followed him and he would have done a briefing for monday and what will happen is all the journalists get together and they agree what their news line is for Monday after the game today, after after the game on Saturday. So they'll hold questions back so they don't go in the press conference because that comes out immediately. And then the Monday briefing, everything is um, is embargoed until 11 p.m. on a Sunday night. And that's when you start getting the, the fresh headlines for the Monday morning coming out across social media now you know, and on, online for the, the Mail or the Sun or whoever. And um, you know, the fact that they club together and they agree their news lines... You know, it just shows how it's, it's all linked. And, you know, as a, as a journalist, if you're not part of that, then you're missing out. You know, and how can you ignore news? You know, if you're a news journalist, you can't. And someone like Liam, who works for ESPN, you know, journalists I've got a lot of respect for, that does an excellent job, but he'll have to dip into that as well. And it's, it's not what he's about, but he'll have to do it because, you know, it comes with a territory. But it's just more the tabloids, that's what they thrive on. And that, that's the nature of what a tabloid is. Well, I think that's really good perspective, obviously, as always, um, you know, kind of about how the workings go. We've learned a little bit more about it as we've been able to, you know, make connections with journalists such as yourself, uh, you know, and the writers in the world. Um, but it's always especially good for our listeners to kind of understand how that works and get a better idea, um, you know, kind of, I guess, why everyone's reporting the same thing. Now, <laughs> now it probably makes sense for a lot of people out there. Um, all right. Well, Dan, we did have a man of the match poll, and it was as if Tyson fought an infant. It was a landslide. Oh. Wow. Yeah, it uh, it was a runaway, uh, much like Hazard ran away to score his second goal of the game after the uh, the pass from William. But uh, Hazard won in, in fine form, 88%. Uh, will he see even after some uh, concerning uh, maybe – uh, collection or punching of balls into the air ended up with seven percent. Lillian had three, and John Moss's optometrist had two percent. So uh, n- nice poll today. Nothing like a cheeky spot in there, as always, Dan. Uh, well, as it stands, uh, Liverpool have yet to play Swansea, which even with Liverpool, I think you can chalk that up as three points, which will probably push them over us. Uh, I don't know, though. It depends on goal difference. We had a nice little run today. We are three goals above them on goal difference, so we'll see how that works. But as it is right now, City on top with 65, United in second on 53, Chelsea in third on 50, Liverpool fourth on 47. Spurs just drew against Southampton before we recorded this, so they are in fifth on 44, and Arsenal at sixth on 42. Um, so with that being said, we'll kind of have to see how the table shakes up Monday. But uh, Chelsea are in a good position. Their form right now, three wins, two draws, uh, which is the exact same form as United. Uh, the good news is they play Tottenham next while Chelsea play Bournemouth. So uh, big you know, week ahead, obviously, because there's going to be a midweek midweek match in there uh but before we talk about all of that uh we're gonna head over to your social media questions uh and we would just be silly dan if we didn't remind all of our friendly favorite listeners out there that we're going back to london and we're gonna see the spurs match at home 
Yeah, not often you can guarantee yourself a chance to see Chelsea take all three points from a match. And uh, (laughs) this is one of those opportunities when uh, we will go see Chelsea play Tottenham at home. uh, And hopefully we'll get to run into Gary while we're there this time. Uh, But uh, we're very much looking forward to it. Our friends at XL Tours have hooked up another package again. Get a chance to stay at the grounds at the hotel right outside Stanford Bridge. We will be putting on another live podcast production, and we are trying to figure out if we can go maybe see a uh, U-team match. Uh, they're, they're in fine form, the ladies' team, who are absolutely exceptional as well. And uh, probably those two teams uh, gave the first team some goal-scoring lessons, which uh, led to this most recent result. So if we want more information on that, head to our website or go to XL Tours and hook it up. All right. Well, from the social media platforms, we, as always, get a ton of questions from you guys. It's fantastic stuff. And I'm excited to have Gary on as well so we can talk about some of these uh, transfer uh, pieces. But the first one, uh, we have Eric from email slash text uh, at Crumpopotamus on Twitter at NNathanAllen20, all asking about Jekko, asking about the Palmieri transfers. So uh, all of a sudden, Gary, Chelsea and Roma's to me, what a weird relationship about potential transfers as we just matched up against them uh, in the Champions League group stages. So to me, it's kind of weird that they would deal some players. Obviously, if we do get anyone from Roma, they're going to be ineligible for the Champions League. Uh, Roma, I think, are about fourth place right now in Serie A, which means they're not even in the contentions for Champions League spot next season. Um, What do you make of all this stuff? I think it's positive. I think it might be a little bit strange for for them to be offloading key players, you know, during halfway during the season. But I think that money talks, doesn't it? And it's well known that Serie A clubs don't have the the sort of money that that Premier League teams do. And I think that when you see Chelsea struggling to find a, a replacement striker, and they're offering big money for for your main goal scorer this season. He, he scored a you know, Jacko's he's only scored nine goals this year, but that counts for just under a third of their league goals. So. I think it shows you know how important he is to that side, but um, I think that sometimes teams have to cash in because they know that come the summer Chelsea's view, you know, Chelsea's going to be looking elsewhere. They're not going to be looking at Jeko, and it's almost a case of you know um, needs must. So they know they're not going to get this money again for Jeko, so they'll probably cash in. But you know, it's not completely strange to see players moving from one club to another halfway through a season after they faced them. You know, I remember the worst case scenario I can think of was when. Um, Chelsea thrashed uh, Barcelona 3-1 in the Champions League in 2001 and then they signed Winston Bogarda from, from Barcelona and obviously everyone knows how that went with uh, his extortionate wages and the fact he never played for Chelsea, lived in Holland and commuted to training from there and all the rest of it. But um, I think just looking at this, it's a positive thing. I think that they're looking at the right sort of player on the left to, to support Alonso, maybe usurp him. I think Palmieri, he certainly fits the bill at Chelsea as well, doesn't he? He's, he's 23. Chelsea look for these younger players to to bring in where they've got a sell-on value still, but they're also players that are just outside their peak. So when they do peak, they're Chelsea players. Um, I think obviously Dzeko's on the wrong side of 30, but for what Chelsea need, you're hearing about Peter Crouch and hearing about Dzeko, and I think he's, he's certainly the better option. Nick, I mean, these signings do seem like Conte signings as well. A lot of people are saying the board don't want to buy anyone to fit Conte's style because we don't even think he's going to be here in the summer. Yeah, I like. I don't know what to do with that. Um, yeah, I think the the main thing is that we need a different style of 
striker to what we currently have on the books. Jekka would certainly be that. Uh, he's a big, strong uh, guy with great in the air. Um, certainly scored a wonder goal uh, against uh, Chelsea at the bridge in October. Um, so I think there might be a little bit of that um, kind of what what could be if he's in our shirt kind of scenario, keeping Murata fresh if they were alternating a little bit more. So he's a different style. Palmieri, I don't admittedly know a ton about, but any sort of um, uh, depth for Alonso, I think, is, is welcome with open arms. And I know that he's coming off an injury as well. So, you know, just chalk it up with Barkley and all these other guys that we signed injured. Um, but, you know, certainly those two signings or signings of those of that caliber in this January window, I think, make us feel a little bit more assured of finishing in the top four and, and potentially going on a, a deep run in the uh, in the FA Cup. So can I just, just jump in quickly, just on that point that you made about um, Chelsea don't want to sign players that are Conte players because they don't know if he's going to be there in the summer. I, out of everything that we've read in the press, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I just think it's, it's complete BS because it's not... The way Chelsea have worked since the year dot when Abramovich came in, you know, they, they signed play. They, I remember working at Chelsea, and we, um, at the end of the 2008 season, Avram Grant was getting sacked, and the the day after, they're signing uh, Jose Basingwa, and even before um, Scolari had come in, and it was even being mentioned or mooted. Okay, there might have been discussion, but they weren't going to be signing players for a manager who hadn't agreed to a contract. They, you know, so they, they were signing players that were there for Chelsea rather than there for the manager. And I think what happened at Chelsea is that when Mourinho came in, he set a template that Chelsea dined out on for 10 years. And now Conte's come in and he's changed that. And this, the, the system that Chelsea have got, which is going back to the point I made earlier about how Conte's come in, there's been a big tactical shift, not just at Chelsea, but in the Premier League, that a three-man defence has suddenly become you know, in vogue. And... People are dreaming if that you know journalists especially that it's very naive of them to say that if they think that a new manager is going to come in and the way of football you know the, the, the style of play Chelsea have had over this last eighteen months with Conte two years by the end of of this season that he would have completely changed it and a new guy is going to come in and completely change it that doesn't work in at Chelsea it doesn't work in modern football and I just think that Chelsea are signing players for Chelsea rather than for the manager. All right. Well, look, I I hope so. I mean. I'm fully backed in. You know, you hear all these people talk and really long-term Chelsea fans, uh, you know, essentially lifers over in London, putting strong signals out there about the fact that the fans really want Conte and they want him to stay and they they back him and hopefully that uh, uh, that will happen. Um, but that's good. I mean, and, and I guess for people who don't know, uh, Gary, you worked at the club, I believe in the communications department way back when? Yeah, I, I, I worked... Um at the club from 2004 to 2010 in a few different roles. You know, first of all, freelance, and then I was working on the program magazine full-time. So, um, yeah, so I I was a writer, basically, just, um, yeah, working on the on the club's publications. But um, just, just to go back to what I was going to say as well, just and there's a point that you raised there about what the fans want from, from Conte and the fact that they want him to stay, you know. And you see all this stuff across social media from these idiots I don't know who they are but they're like get out of my club and you know drop Conte get get rid of him etc but um, this is the one thing that when Jose got sacked um, a couple of years ago in 
December 2015. I, I was upset about that, you know, as, as a fan. Obviously, as a journalist, I, you have to have a different perspective in, in terms of the way you're dealing with it. But as a fan, I was, I was upset. And not because of the, the football he played or anything like that, you know, because, you know, I understand the shortcomings of Jose style of play. But the one thing that frustrated me was that when Chelsea won the title in 2014-15, that um, they lot they went and they played against West Brom and they lost. I think it was like two 0 but the whole second half, the fans were singing, "We're top of the league, we're top of the league, we're top of the league." And Jose walked out onto the pitch after, and he stood on the penalty spot of the Hawthorns in front of the the Chelsea fans with his finger up, saying, "We're number one, we're number one," and because he had so much passion for the club. And when he left, I thought Chelsea are never going to get that back. They're never going to have a manager that has that connection with the fans. And then we stuff. Manchester United 4-0 last year and suddenly it kicks in with Conte and he is what Jose was in terms of that figurehead and if Chelsea allowed that to leave it'll be it'll be upsetting because managers like Conte and Jose the way they connect with the club they're rare you know they're rare and that, that means so much especially for a club that you know the, the criticism that Chelsea gets no history all the you know it's all rubbish anyway we know that but for a club that gets accused of having no substance to have a manager that has so much you know, it breaks the mould and it goes against the impression of what Chelsea are. And I just think that what Conte is, again, seeing him yesterday come right over to the fans, you know, giving it the fist pump and everything else. He was there for a good 30 seconds doing it. I just think that that man deserves so much more respect from the media. Obviously, the fans give him so much and the board, you know, if they're going to allow him to leave, it'll be, it'll be disgusting. Well, well I, said. Yeah, well absolutely. Said. Seriously. Yeah, co- co-signed. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, turns out you didn't save your best for before we started recording. I told you, Gary. I told you. <laughs> come through. <laughs> um, a lot of discussion, as always, is going to be for Musanda. Anytime we get a young player who gets a little bit of success, everyone wants the doors to be blown open. Uh, you know, Dan, minutes for Mus- Musanda hashtag is apparently a thing now. And uh, obviously everyone points out he had limited minutes. He had an assist. Uh, He also was eight of eight for passing, one for one on his dribble take-ons. And then he obviously had his through ball, which was also a long ball, which is also a Kia pass, which is also an assist way to take one stat and break them into four. They liked him though. Oh, it's a it's a fractions there, Brandon. You know, the the more that you can break something down, the more content you potentially have. You know, take one interview, turn it into uh, to three. Um, yeah, this this to me is the perfect use of talented youth at Chelsea, where we are clearly ahead and driving the game into its final moments, or you know, have potentially a period of time where we can bring a player on and rest one of our other players. And, you know, you kind of wish it happened, uh, you know, maybe uh, 10, 15 minutes earlier. Uh, you know, that's not really the, the Antonio Conte way when it comes to substitutions. But for Masanda to get, you know, 10 minutes in, in this game, um, probably, you know, you'd start to think that, that that really is the model for getting these young talents uh, acclimatized to, you know, the Premier League. And I think it was exceptional. I think he came out, he was, he was bright, he played really well on that right side, and had the, the kind of awareness to uh, drift kind of more centrally to make himself available for the assists that led to the goal. So uh, very good to see Nick. Uh, excellent. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do a minutes for Musanda campaign uh, like we did for Mishi uh, in his first season, but uh, you know, maybe uh, 
oh boy for a doy or something like that you know get him on oh no oh no oh no uh i I will say that it's it's very positive uh for the club uh and and it's positive for masanda to come on and make an impact in very limited time uh you know i think that's that's always a, a big challenge for players to come in off the bench and and you know really do something uh in a game that's already moving at at light speed so uh, all credit to him for for taking his uh, opportunity, uh, and you know we hope that with all these you know fixtures coming up, maybe against Arsenal midweek or you know in next FA Cup round against Newcastle, that you know we can see him for more. You know I think if you're if you're Pedro right now, uh, a guy who's been considerably uh, not at his best uh, in the second uh, half of the season so far. Uh, you're probably, you know, looking over your shoulder a little bit. Williams finally playing better. You know, Musanda's coming in. There's, you know, potential that, you know, another striker's coming in. So, um, obviously, the three four three gives a little bit more flexibility in that position. Uh, but, you know, it certainly is a, is an intriguing option moving forward. Gary, can I just say one more thing yeah. about Musanda? Yeah, yeah. The one stat that um, scouted football missed out. I know they weren't rating him out of 10, but they needed to give him 0 out of 10 for that hairdo. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's always got something else going on. That's just kind of one of his things. But the, like, the, just the little fluff on top, it, bleach it, blonde. Him and Bakayoko, their hair is... Oh, I'm glad they're both is it, Isn't he a part of the, uh, the, the A-star barbers uh collection of players too that go, go there and like Hazard and Ruben Loftus-Cheek you and probably know more than me about that because I'm a um, I'll get my hair styled in a totally different way but yeah A-star barbers well clearly not <laughs> <laughs> All right. We did get a bunch of stuff for Bakayoko uh, from at VFactor07 Quicksilver and Flash and uh, Abubakar I would tell you guys to go back to our match review because we talked about Bakayoko being better in a fourth in a 3-4-3 then a 3-5-1 uh, so go ahead and take that back uh, but let's go ahead we're going to roll into the match preview which is be interesting because it is Arsenal so that makes everything interesting but just really really quick Nick um, we just want to remind everyone to go check us out on Instagram uh, again partner up with Mike on Rainier Blues and just our own content and doing things um, I think we're starting to get the hang of this now absolutely um, so uh, we are in the next, you know, little bit. Uh, you'll you'll see it when it goes live. We're gonna do a really cool uh, contest on our Instagram page. So you're gonna want to follow at London Blue Pod Dan because that's where it's gonna be. That is absolutely correct. In addition to all of our wonderful opportunities to uh, see some of the photos we post from our friend Chris Axon, who writes uh, wonderful uh, post-match blogs of his his journeys and his days out, and the wonderful uh, Rainier Blues uh, content that uh, Mike so wonderfully joins us, produces for us as well. So uh, at London Blue Pod on Instagram, a great place to keep connected with the show. All right, well, let's go ahead and... Um Essentially, look at the Arsenal match. And where we're at right now is the League Cup semifinal. It's the second leg. Going to be going to the Emirates. Um, As it stands, obviously the scoreline is 0-0 from Stamford Bridge. This match 
will go into extra time and eventually penalties if needed. Uh, last year, they did the ABBA penalty system. Now, that was weird because it seemed like Chelsea only took about two kicks uh, and they had about four taken against them. Um, Gary, do you know if that is still in effect? Yeah, I'm not sure what happened. I, I just got so excited with wanting to tweet that the winner takes it all. <laughs> uh, obviously, being a known ABBA song, but I, I, I don't know why they, they cut it off. And, and to be fair... I haven't really been that bothered to look into wherever it is going ahead. But yeah, it should be. I don't know why they didn't do it for the FA Cup game. Yeah. well, I, But that referee had a howler, didn't he? So he probably ruined that. Forgot. Up and, you know, yeah. Screwed that up as well. Jeez. Yeah. He forgot what a penalty did like himself. So. Who knows? Well, I think by now, or at, at the time that this match takes place, Sanchez should be gone. Uh, I, he wasn't even in the squad today on Sunday. Um, or I guess they played on Saturday, I apologize. And uh, any replacement you would think wouldn't be ready. So I know they're talking about Obama Yang. Um, they've mainly talked about Lamar a little bit, some different guys, but I don't think it should be that big of an issue for us. So if anything, we might be getting a weaker Arsenal than we played the first leg, Nick. Uh, that I mean, that would be a pleasant surprise, but they did go out and smash Crystal Palace 4-1. You know, you can say it was Crystal Palace, but, you know, we beat Brighton 4 nothing. Yeah, it's just going to be tough. We we didn't do ourselves any favors in the first leg. Um, so, you know, getting a goal is going to be um, really, really important here. We're going to need to go out and, you know, certainly I think the 3-4-3 would be um, a good thing to uh, to consider against Arsenal. Uh, use a little bit more of our speed and quick interchange against uh, their center backs. Uh, I'm sure they will mimic that formation uh, because that's – uh, what what Wenger seems to prefer uh, against uh, Chelsea, but uh, you know I, I hope this is an opportunity for us to shake off some of the the bad results against them in recent memory and uh, and put forth a, a really good team effort. You know maybe this is a Musanda match. You know maybe this is an opportunity for for Barkley to to make an impact. You know there, I think you know there are, there are many different lineup uh, changes that could happen. I think Antonio Conte has to put his faith. You know, and, and Zappa Costa on the left or, you know, uh, or Kennedy or someone that, that can spell Alonzo because we have we have too many important matches for some of our more leggy players to uh, uh, to not get uh, injured or, or more fatigue. Gary, what do you think about the lineup piece? I mean, does it change because you're at the semifinal and it's the second leg of the League Cup that you're literally 90 to potentially you know, 120 minutes away from another cup final, even though I, I was looking through the rules trying to see if there was an ABBA system. Uh, and it, it says in there that the FA Cup will always take priority from a fixture date standpoint than the League Cup. I mean, do Chelsea go for it or do they continue to stick to their system of, you know, heavy, heavy rotations? No, they'll go for it. Like they, they tried to in the first leg and it's just that five, I don't I've, God, anyone who knows me is probably going to be putting their hair out, going, "What? You know, you're dream. You must be dreaming about five men midfield, and it's they can't play that against Arsenal." It's, oh, I'm just getting frustrated thinking about it because, and this is the thing that frustrates me about Conte. After I've just waxed lyrical about my adoration for him, is that it's the antithesis to Mourinho's Chelsea, and that Wenger's bossing him right now. You know, seven games against Arsenal, he's won one of them, drawn three, and lost three. I know, you know, the Community Shield is one of them, but, you know, I just, just looking, I just think, come on, you know, th- this Arsenal side's there to be got at. Get at them, you know, 
play William, play Hazard and play Morata because he won't be suspended and just really go at them, just really get at them and go at them and, you know, because this Arsenal team, once they feel the pressure, they collapse, you know, they're, they're so, you know, fragile and feeble and I just think it's really, you know, they used to look at Drogba and they would just roll over, they would just die and I just think that they've just got to get that edge over them again and we've, we've done it once in the whole time when Conte's been here and that was when, we beat them 3-1 last year and Hazard put Coquelin on his ass and ended his Arsenal career because he, he was never quite the same player, was he? And he's, he's, gone, he's gone to Valencia now. I just think that there's a few <laughs> yeah. there's a few more careers that need to be ended at Arsenal by those Chelsea players. And if they can do it this week, then, then great. Dan, I, I'm just going to let you play off of Arsenal careers being ended. I mean, <laughs> that's a, I love that line. Yeah, well, uh, after uh, Chelsea was not able to complete the match, uh, nor Arsenal last week, they decided to ship off Sanchez. So, I mean, you know, again, just uh, more Arsenal careers being ended by uh, matches against Chelsea. And who knows, you know, maybe uh, maybe Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang, Malcolm will will look at a Chelsea victory here and decide not to put pen to paper, uh, not to give hope to the Arsenal fan TV uh, crew, (laughs) not to get troops to say, blood, Malcolm blood. Uh, 1500 times Fam. when he gets signed <laughs> Fam, yeah, so, Fam's uh, good. It, yeah it'll be it'll be good to get a result here and i think the point of conte kind of breaking uh breaking this kind of streak against wenger would be fantastic and uh you know we, we need to make gunnosaurus rex cry tears of sadness I'm, I'm gonna be at this game as well um as a fan again because it'll be me as a fan between now and the end of the season and um one of my friends He's a Chelsea fan, but he works at Arsenal. And uh, so he's got us tickets in the Arsenal end. So I'm hoping that Chelsea do completely annihilate them just to be st- stood around a load of Arsenal fans and just feel the the pain you know, around me immediately. You know, I don't need Arsenal fan TV this week if that happens because I'll just be there laughing at everyone around me as they're leaving early. Soaking oh, Gary, in there was that the one tears. match where the uh, the West what was it the West Ham fan who was there who was like took the video of himself like chanting at you know the at the Emirates when his team went ahead and was basically just like no one reacted which seems to me to be pretty well, atypical was Chelsea. response. That was Chelsea. That was the Chelsea fan after Alonso's goal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gary, yeah, no one cares. I've never seen that. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get it to you, but let's just say you've got you got some big shoes to fill because it was magical. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh-huh. that, he, he was just he kept on cheering, and I was just shocked because like no one no one like batted an eye. And, uh, there was a couple like oh, shut ups, but everyone was pretty pretty civil about this guy just like jumping up and celebrating in their area. Arsenal only get upset when it's Arsenal fan TV, don't they? But the, the, the one joke I saw that was brilliant <laughs> this week was when. I don't know who tweeted it. Some idiot tweeted that, oh, if we sign Andy Carroll, we're going to burn down the local library. And then some responded and went, that's no way to treat the Emirates. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I saw that too, actually. I did see that. Like, why bring the Emirates into it or something like that? It's yeah, brilliant. exactly. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, Chelsea should be going for this. Uh, you're so close to a final. Uh, it is Arsenal. There's so many undertones in this match. And plus you play Bournemouth at the weekend, who while they are doing better, um, you know, they they aren't the same type of opponent. And like I said, the, the Premier League season is much longer than these Cup tournaments. So when you have a chance, uh, Chelsea should be doing everything to, to go, even if it's taking on Man City in the final, which it looks most likely 
uh, at this point. But I mean, I think that uh, collectively would all agree that we would want Chelsea to to go for it this match, and even if that means fielding a strong lineup to to make the final. Does anyone, I guess, disagree with that? No, nope. I, I I agree completely. Awesome. All right. Well, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. But instead of everyone going around and and doing final thoughts, I am just going to thank Gary, as always, for coming on and being an amazing guest. Uh, We appreciate having you on. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And then when you guys, I didn't realize you were coming over for the Spurs game. So, um, yeah, it'd be good to meet up and and celebrate another Spurs loss in West London. Oh, Ah, there we go. There we go. Um, the other thing I'm going to do is actually I'm going to turn this over to Dan and I'm going to let him take us out on this uh, unfortunate, sad note, uh, but it is very important. So Chelsea fans, do not turn off just yet um, as we kind of uh, give you a heads up on this. Yeah, we, we saw this uh, sad news kind of put out this morning by the, the We Are The Shed group who organized a lot of the, the banners uh, that you see kind of unveiled and unfurled at the beginning of matches, but, uh, a Chelsea home and away supporter and fan, um, Jack winter ended up, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, lost a fight to some gallbladder cancer here just recently. And, uh, at the age of 19, which is just terrible. So if you search the hashtag, uh, Jack winter 19, the thought is that at the 19th minute of the Chelsea Bournemouth game, there'll be just a, a banner and uh, kind of a, a round of applause and for the the young man. So, uh, just something to keep in mind if you're going to be attending the game or if you're watching from home and wondering why uh, that would be the case. So, uh, cheers and positive thoughts to Jack's family and a uh, time of crisis. Yeah, and even some of the players are getting involved in retweeting and sharing this as well. So again, like I said, we're far away, but anything we can do to help and, and be in the Chelsea community, uh, we want to. So now with that being said, you are able to turn it off, Chelsea fans, uh, because that's a wrap. So until next time, midweek versus Arsenal, get your midweek meeting set no matter the time of day, so that way you can block out the time and watch it. Uh, we'll be there afterwards for you. So until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high. If you don't want the conversation to stop, make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. The London is Blue podcast, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.